Hi, it's John here. You're probably tired of the phrase, we need a nation of coders. It usually refers to software coders, that tribe who make Amazon and Facebook titans of the new economy. But what if it also referred to genome coders? What if we were a nation that could apply genomics to everything we do and make? Genomics is a branch of molecular biology that most Canadians, me included, couldn't even define without turning to our smartphones. But this kind of coding might also be a key to the new, new economy, the one we need to build to truly recover from COVID. The technologies that come out of genomics, they're going to transform our society, period. The question is whether we are going to be producers or consumers of, of that change. I'm a fan of Jeopardy, and I know this much about genomics. If it came up on the big board, I wouldn't even dare for 200, Alex. But I've tracked it enough over the years to know that as a country, we're onto something with genomics. Now, I know when you hear the word genomics, you may think about the human genome or GMOs, but the new frontiers of genomics touch our everyday lives and our everyday economy in some pretty extraordinary ways. The way we make machinery, the way we produce clothes, the way we brew beer, all of these can be transformed through genomics and bioengineering. It's more than a cool or crazy science project. The bio-revolution, as the McKinsey Global Institute calls it, can be found today in agriculture and aquaculture, consumer products, materials, chemicals, and energy production. McKinsey has found that up to 60% of the physical inputs to the global economy could be produced biologically. And that could save the world $4 trillion a year, which is about what we're spending to pull the economy back from the abyss. Genomics could help spare us from the supply chain dependencies that this pandemic has opened our eyes to, whether it's for baking flour or hand sanitizer or vaccines and face shields. Genomics may be one of the things we need to weather the perpetual disruptions of a post-pandemic world. This is RBC Disruptors, and I'm your host, John Stackhouse. My first guest today is Dr. Rob Annan, the president and CEO of Genome Canada. Hey, Rob. Hey, John. How are you doing? I, I, I'm well, thanks. Rob, here we are months into a global pandemic, and genomics is a hot topic. Why is everyone talking about it right now? Well, John, uh, you know, genomics is really based on the study of the, the function of DNA, right? And DNA is the basis of all living things. And so when we think about genomics, what we're thinking about really is how DNA, which is the, the building blocks of living systems, translates through a variety of molecular systems into what we see in the biological living world around us. So right now, of course, as we're gripped with uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, genomics is uh, certainly front and center in helping us both uh, understand the virus, track its spread around the world, and also understand the way it's interacting with us and, and, and pointing clues towards how we might both uh, defeat the, the virus and uh, and hopefully get back on our feet again. So genomics is really uh, driving a lot of our understanding on the biology of COVID-19. And e even before the pandemic, it was uh, gaining more and more significance. It's been around for decades. But why in the past decade has it accelerated as an economic opportunity? Right. So I think there are really three big drivers in terms of what is really leading what you refer to as this biorevolution. 
The first is really around uh, the genomic science itself, right? When the human genome was completed uh, about 20 years ago, that project to sequence a single human genome took 15 years and cost about $2 billion. Today, we're able to sequence a human genome in about 24 hours for less than $1,000. And so that ability to actually read the material of life has transformed the way we approach living systems. The second driver is really around the data, managing all that data. I mean, we're talking about enormous quantities of data. Genomics is on, on track to surpass both uh, YouTube and Twitter in terms of overall data generation. So we're just getting reams of data. And until a couple of years ago, we just couldn't handle that data. So today with um, you know, cloud computing, uh, you know, broadband networks, and especially artificial intelligence, we're seeing a huge change in how we actually understand the systems. And the third driver is really around uh, the technologies. So a lot of people uh, listening will be familiar with CRISPR-Cas9 technology, really targeted gene editing. But beyond even the CRISPR and our ability to actually manipulate now the DNA, we have a whole suite of tools that are opening up vistas on engineering living systems, opening new areas of biomanufacturing, biomaterials, and so on. So really, the last few years, these pieces have come together in almost a perfect storm. And probably a lot of people, when they hear that description, may have images of Frankenstein or uh, uh, manipulative sciences. How does this really play out in the lab and extend into the things that touch our everyday lives? Yeah, so um, obviously it's easy to imagine, you know, the idea of merging all these different life forms and so on, which which is just not really a part of the mainstream science. It's something we don't actually see it. At Genome Canada, we're using these tools. Our researchers are using these tools to, for instance, develop uh, really new advanced uh, diagnostics. They're using them to um, produce candidate vaccines for COVID-19 in bacterial cells or yeast cells. We're, we're using this, uh, for instance, to do biomonitoring of, uh, of ecosystems and, and tracking endangered species, let's say, in the Arctic. So there's lots of different ways that genomics and genomic sciences are being applied to everyday life that have nothing to do with actually manipulating um, uh, living organisms to create, uh, as you say, these kinds of Frankensteins. That's just not part of the mainstream. One of the most exciting emerging applications for genomics, and the one we want to focus on today, is biomanufacturing and helping to lead the charge when it comes to synthetic biology and bioengineering is Ontario Genomics, headed up by President and CEO, Dr. Bettina Hamlin. Bettina, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Give us a sense of what biomanufacturing is. So biomanufacturing really builds on the tremendous technology and genomics that has evolved and that Rob uh, just described. We can actually now use biology to make useful products. And that's essentially what biomanufacturing is. It's a type of manufacturing where we use biological organisms or parts of biological organisms to produce commercially important materials using living cells essentially as miniature factories. You know, most uh, listeners won't be aware that there's actually thousands of biomanufactured products on the market today. The first one that always comes to mind is insulin. Recombinant insulin was first produced in 1982, produced in cells and is saving lives every day. If you're eating cheese, uh, chances are that the rennet that is used for cheese making uh, was produced uh, by biomanufacturing and synthetic biology. Think about the fermentation of beer that we've done for centuries. People have gotten into sourdough baking. Uh, making sourdough bread is a type of biomanufacturing. 
So here I thought uh, we were talking about the new, new frontier of science. And in fact, it's stuff we've been doing for uh, for hundreds of years. And all of us who have become amateur bakers in the pandemic are participants in uh, in biomanufacturing. That's uh, somewhat uh, comforting. Uh, but Bettina, what, what are some of the problems? I mean, this is all very exciting uh, and, and interesting. But what are the bigger problems we're trying to solve with this? So there's many problems we are trying to solve with this. Sustainability, obviously, is a key uh, goal here. You know, we are we are a society based on petroleum, and we know what that does to the world around us. So using these kinds of approaches, using biology to make products, our carbon footprint decreases dramatically, and issues like deforestation, etc., can be reduced dramatically because we don't uh, need so much land to grow our crops or or breed uh, our livestock. The other one is the ability to actually produce uh, valuable products much more locally. You know, innovation is no longer only happening in uh, Silicon Valley. Innovation happens where uh, the the key ingredients are present to actually do this. So when we think about the pandemic, for example, and uh, something that stared into our faces was that, you know, uh, grocery stores uh, shelves were empty. And so the ability to biomanufacture locally certainly gives us opportunity to overcome some of these issues. But we need to get there. You know, we need to have uh, the right ecosystem to actually allow us to do this in Canada. But I think that is the future. That's such an interesting and important point about the redistribution of innovation. We've talked about that on previous episodes of Disruptors. We had uh, a Canadian author and uh, venture capital investor, uh, Alex Lazaro, uh, who's based in San Francisco, talking about uh, his new book, Out Innovate, and the redistribution of innovation, arguing that you know for decades it was concentrated in places like Silicon Valley and Tel Aviv, and now it's in hundreds, maybe thousands of places all over the world. Of course, scientists, those coders as well, and engineers can work in a more distributed fashion, but it also requires a distribution of production, which can be a little more complicated than setting up uh, some software engineers uh, in, a, in, a, in a community wherever they're comfortable. And Rob, I wonder, I mean, the, the pandemic has opened our eyes to so many things, has forced us to change work patterns, workflows, but also our approach to innovation because of disruptions, the breakages even of uh, supply chains, for instance. How are you thinking about biomanufacturing in terms of addressing this disrupted and increasingly distributed economy? What can biomanufacturing help us accelerate in terms of that innovation? So I think one of the important things to to recognize about biomanufacturing is we're talking about growing cells, right? So in effect, we're, as Bettina said, we're using these cells as factories. Millions of years of evolution have produced amazingly complex systems inside these cells that can do the kind of chemistry that we only dream about in our own kind of chemistry labs. So we, these cells can do lots of different things. But in the end, you're just growing these cells. So whether they're bacterial cells or they're yeast cells, you grow them in basically these giant fermenters, right? Fats, these uh, bioreactors. And so in the end, you're not talking about having, you know, if let's imagine like say a northern community, you don't have to create a car manufacturing center as well as a, um, you know, uh, solar panels uh, manufacturing center, et cetera, et cetera. 
a bio foundry that has the ability to grow cells could conceivably be engineered to do different purposes, right? So the actual technology into how to actually build these manufacturing centers, it's technologically advanced, but it's not, um, it, it, it's, it can be generalized. And so what you're able to do is you're able to actually distribute manufacturing centers in locales all over the place. So this gets this idea of supply chain resiliency. You don't need to manufacture everything offshore and then ship it all over the world. We can set up these kind of foundries and then we can use them for things like what we call, say, cellular agriculture to, to produce uh, food and, 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 and nutrients. We can use them to produce um, materials like textiles and so on. It, it could fundamentally change the way we think about supply chains and production. Rob, how far are we from that? Some of this is already taking place, as you explained, but doing that at scale in a way that would allow us to re-engineer supply chains sounds like a uh, pretty big challenge. How close are we? My sense is that we're, you know, we're still some distance, but we can see it. As Bettina alluded to, there are good examples of commercial and industrial scale biomanufacturing. But for the vast majority of, uh, of areas, what we're doing right now is what we would be considered more almost lab scale or maybe a kind of a pilot phase, right? So we haven't set up industrial sized bioreactors all over Canada, for instance. So this is one of the challenges that we face, I think, in terms of growing this sector is to move from the, the point at which you've got you know, proof of principle in the lab and you have bioreactors that are, say, two liters in size, to move to industrial production where you have, say, 200,000 liters. That's a big gap, and that involves a lot of complex uh, issues around you know, capital, uh, around um, scaling. And to me, that's where the biggest challenge is going to be in the years ahead. And, and, and that speaks to one of Canada's epic challenges of, uh, of, 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 of scaling. So maybe this is an opportunity for us to... Um, experiment with scale in new ways. Bettina, in some ways, uh, you're on the front lines of that. How do you see biomanufacturing helping to make traditional manufacturing more efficient and to be able to apply it with the scale that Rob was uh, just referencing? I think we have a great opportunity in, in Canada to be innovative in how we built this. Biomanufacturing and this distributed model that we've been talking about provides an opportunity to rethink how we actually scale up. And building these large-scale operations requires a lot of investment, and the barriers of entrance are very large. And it's not really conceivable to have a lot of them in Canada. However, where this field is really moving is in this field of, you know, point-of-care manufacturing, small batch manufacturing, where you innovate in terms of the methodology that you want to build to build the product you need, where you need it, but you do it in sort of modular, small scale, small unit scale technologies. And so you can benefit from this economy of unit number approach to reduce the cost to produce. So on the technology side, I think we have an opportunity to really innovate here and build on what other jurisdictions who by the way, have been investing in this for a number of years, but we can build on where they're at and adapt it to the Canadian geography because we have geography, not numbers. You mentioned other countries. Who's, uh, who's doing this well? The country who really, really started all of this is the, is the United Kingdom. Uh, the UK uh, developed a government-mandated strategy roadmap for synthetic biology 12 years ago now. That has now led to about 150 uh, startup companies that are doing well, that have raised over a billion dollars of funding. 
other countries, Australia, uh, very much uh, at the forefront as well. The chief scientist of Australia just released a paper on synthetic biology. The U.S. Um, has certainly also invested uh, within uh, the Department of Energy in this area. And now uh, China, Singapore, Japan are coming on board with massive investments. Bettina, how do those small batch manufacturers get going with this? I'm imagining the entrepreneur or operator uh, who's got uh, a, a food production line or a manufacturing line somewhere in southwestern Ontario, probably thinking about how do I survive the next couple of years, but how, how do I maintain uh, competitiveness in a global economy that's changing significantly and now you want me to think about genomics and having a little lab on my my, my site. Uh, that may be a, a, a bridge too far for a lot of their minds. How do they get going with this? Look, this is not just pie in the sky. People are, have actually started and we have a, a very cool sort of startup ecosystem that has been evolving. So you know, you can think about uh, IGPC, for example, an Ontario-based rural a company that produces actually all of the ethanol that is uh, mixed into our gas at the gas stations. We have uh, companies like Protein ZZ in, uh, in Ontario as well that is uh, expressing enzymes in rice and other crops. Genesis, a company that is producing bioplastics from food waste. So a, a lot of these companies emerge out of our very rich research uh, environment in Canada. That is one of our really, really strong points. And we get young entrepreneurs um, who want to drive a different sustainable economy. And so they're starting out. What we don't have in, in, in Canada, and, and actually I, uh, I listened to your interview with Alex Lazarov with great interest, um, uh, you know, what we're missing is this kind of capital to invest in these companies, which is why, you know, for the past uh, two years, um, I've been intensively working uh, towards a Canadian synthetic biology ecosystem. It is called Can Design. It is a proposal that went to the federal government and, and is um, you know, being looked at, et cetera. So I think there is a huge opportunity. We got the ingredients. We need to pull it together so that these small groups that want to start out have everything they need to be able to do it. You're listening to RBC Disruptors. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. I've been speaking with Dr. Rob Annan of Genome Canada and Dr. Bettina Hamlin of Ontario Genomics about the massive potential of biomanufacturing to change how we make many of the products we use on an everyday basis. I'd also like to remind you that RBC Disruptors is a show looking at powerful ideas and changes moving through the world around us, what effects they may have now and in the future. If you know a great innovator you think we should talk to, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us on social media or email us at rbcdisruptors at rbc.com. I hope you'll join us for more of these conversations. Just hit like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. So by all means, leave us a comment. Now back to our conversation. Rob, if biomanufacturing has such potential, why aren't we seeing more of it? What are, what are some of the obstacles that may be slowing its growth? I think, first off, it's important to remember that this is still a reasonably new area. So it's the early days. You know, I think about uh, biomanufacturing and, and the suite of kind of genomics-based technologies 
a little bit like the 1970s in the tech sector, right? You've got a lot of people in their garages fiddling with computers, and we're still figuring out exactly where the greatest value is going to be, where the big companies are going to come from, and so on. And so I think it's partly just that it's early days. Barriers, uh, you know, in part because it's so new, I think that there's um, a question around uh, skilled uh, talent people who really know the space and can help drive and develop it. And that's an area where there's a lot going on, lots of great young researchers coming into the into the fold who are going to build these companies. But one of the big challenges is really around investment. This is a very technologically heavy uh, area. And so the kinds of investors that are looking at early stage investment and thinking about analogies, say, with the tech sector, with large multipliers and, and reasonably short turnarounds, then run into the more traditional manufacturing types of investments, which are much larger and more long-term without those big multipliers. So I think lining up those two pieces is something that that hasn't happened as efficiently as it probably will eventually, as we get more examples of how these investments pay off over the long-term. We're at this really, really interesting uh, sort of tipping point here. And, you know, when we talk about biomanufacturing for a country like Canada, it's completely changing society, if you will. And we are in an environment where we are uh, dependent on natural resources, our forests, our mining. And when we talk about biomanufacturing, we're using these inputs, but to do different things. So we're not harvesting trees to sell them raw to China or the two by fours to the U.S., where we are completely dependent on their pricing. We are now using this biomass to feed to biological organisms to make value-added products that we can sell at a premium price. But it's a complete rethink. And, you know, there's an established industry that is sort of holding on to traditional ways. And we need to help them become more innovative because it is the future. As you were describing the opportunity, I was thinking we've always described ourselves as hewers of wood and drawers of water. And maybe we can become coders of wood and engineers of water. But that also raises uh, probably some <laughs> some concerns uh, yeah. that uh, I think you were just speaking to, the GMO backlash. Uh, how significant of a challenge is that in terms of the public conversation that you're trying to lead? So I, I think, first of all, I, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, one of, one of the um, really astounding estimates from the McKinsey report you referred to in the beginning is that 70% of the success of this new economy is dependent on consumer adoption, regulation, and society. So we need to be really, really focused on that. And I think organizations like Genome Canada and Ontario Genomics and, and our other colleagues across the country really need to focus on educating the public on the opportunity. Now, the GMO piece I'd say I talked to, you know, 10 people who walked by my house today and I asked them, did you know that insulin was produced by, with a genetically modified organism? You know, nobody would know. I, I think we, we got ourselves caught up in this GMO, big corporation sort of uh, discussion when the discussion really needs to be, we're using biology. Biology is doing this on its own. What we're doing is, well, let's leverage what biology does to the benefit of, of our healthy lives and our healthy planet. I think it's important to recognize that, you know, there are really thorny ethical issues here. And when we're talking about, let's say, on, on human health, 
we're talking about, you know, uh, the application of CRISPR technology. Well, there are big differences between changing the um, the germline, you know, the, the the changes would be passed on to new generations versus, say, somatic cells. So no changes being passed on, right? The data that's collected through these kinds of work, how are we going to manage that? Uh, issues around releasing um, organisms into the environment. There's conversations now about uh, a pilot program in Florida to introduce genetically engineered mosquitoes to reduce the incidence of dengue fever. I mean, so we can see the upside, but we can also see the downside. And it's important for us to wrestle with that. And the last thing, of course, is outside the technology, uh, with any disruption uh, and, and economic advance, we really do need to make sure that we're thinking about the inequities that it will uh, perhaps reinforce or even create in terms of access to the technologies and, uh, and access to the benefits. Rob, maybe you can expand on that. What are the inequities that uh, genomics could lead to? Sure. On the technology side, for instance, uh, genomics is driving um, rapid development of all sorts of new uh, healthcare technologies, personalized health, um, new diagnostics, but also therapeutics, cell therapies, and so on. We want to make sure that those technologies, as they come online, are not only available to those who can afford them or those who have special access. Those technologies there could, you know, if that happens, we're going to exacerbate health outcomes amongst different people. So that's that's technology access. But as we think about the biomanufacturing side, of course, as we disrupt any economic sector, there's going to be a displacement of jobs. And if those jobs um, are, are replaced by uh, higher skilled jobs in working in, in this biomanufacturing, we want to make sure that we have opportunities for retraining, reskilling, and so on, so that uh, that people can, can actually fill those jobs and we don't have so much uh, economic dislocation. You both talked about regulation, and that can be both a friend and foe for innovation. Uh, it can slow down uh, experimentation and uh, the efforts to scale ideas, but it can also create opportunities, uh, even what's called a sandbox, often for innovators to play in, to develop ideas, knowing that consumers or their users have some uh, comfort. Uh, Canada can be pretty good at that. Lots of other countries are good at it as well. How do we need to think about regulation for genomics as we think about scaling this in the mainstream economy? I think the regulation, you know, when we think about uh, about, about Canada, Canada is usually not a first mover when it comes to regulations. Canada looks at other jurisdictions before making decisions. To help Canada, our regulators need to become more agile, we need to engage with them in a different way to educate them on the opportunity. You know, we see it you know, today in the, in, in the newspaper. I read that, uh, that Health Canada just uh, uh, now changed um, their approach and they will review home testing for COVID, whereas before they said they wouldn't. It's that kind of openness to new innovative approaches. There are some really positive things when we when we look at the field of bioremediation. This is where we use microbes that occur naturally, but uh, we concentrate them in leakings from mining industry to to help feed on the toxin and and turn them into less toxic entities. You know, the the, the federal uh, government has a regulatory path to approve this. This is also a new approach um, because we have naturally occurring microbes, but now you're concentrating them. But they have uh, an approach to do that. It's lengthy, but it is doable. But then you have to go to every province and get that ratified. And for some provinces, it's an easy step. For others, it's not. Interestingly, when it comes to genetically engineered 
uh, products. Uh, Canada is actually uh, a quite open environment in that they're looking at the end product versus the actual technology. That doesn't mean that they don't, you know, scrutinize and do their due diligence on the on the process uh, of genetic engineering, but they're really looking at the product at the end. But this also, I, you know, this this introduces a bigger issue. And where, as Bettina says, Canada is quite progressive, actually, when we think about agricultural products. And so this product-based regulatory regime basically says, is this uh, tomato or what have you uh, indistinguishable from a tomato that would be produced by normal uh breeding methods, right? So that we can use more targeted breeding mechanisms. Canada's unique in that we, we we take this product approach versus, say, the EU, where it's a process approach. Well, how did you do it? And that introduces a whole uh, range of, of new regulatory layers. The challenge is, even if we're progressive, it limits our export markets because we are, uh, you know, we have to obviously play by the, the rules in the target markets. And so it does require some international coordination and cooperation as well, uh, which are, of course, is, is a bigger issue than, than just talking about our own regulatory regimes. But for any of these things, it's, it's not dissimilar to other disruptive uh, technologies where there is a tension between the kind of the innovative impulse and the regulatory caution and managing that tension is, uh, is an ongoing issue. As, as you think about scaling genomics, uh, especially in the recovery and accelerating the application of a lot of what you've been talking about, what, what are the sorts of things that Canada needs to come to grips with? What are the other barriers we need to think a little more aggressively about uh, overcoming? From my perspective, there's there's a few things. I think that the pandemic exposed some uh, supply chain vulnerabilities that we can address, particularly around uh, food and agriculture. And I think in some ways we recognize now, you know, global supply chains are vulnerable. We go back to this idea of being the hewers of wood and drawers of water and growers of crops or what have you. But we can now also be the the producers of of more value added products. And uh, the genomics certainly helps at that kind of producer end in terms of improving production and new means of of manufacturing and so on. But also on the processing end. So I think we can we can certainly look a lot there as we think about economic recovery. I think skills and training for the young people who are going to be involved in rebuilding the economy. Let's make sure that they have the tools that equip them to build an economy for the 21st century and uh, not simply rebuild the economy from the 20th. And then we want to link them up with the, with the companies that are struggling to recover and make sure that those companies are going to have access to all of the most modern and cutting edge tools and knowledge that will that will help them to not just compete internationally, but to, to, to address some of these uh, domestic concerns. I really like that point about skills, because whenever I talk to students across the country, uh, there's such a, a hunger and ambition to take on the world's challenges, especially through science. A, a lot of them be, are being encouraged to move into the uh, STEM fields, but they may not want to work at a global platform company writing software code. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And here's an opportunity for the next generation of Canadians to see themselves applying their brain power, their scientific curiosity, their engineering skills, to a very real economy, but also to taking on global challenges, climate change. You've talked about uh, global inequality, the resilience of our economy, which we've got to come to grips with. So some really exciting opportunities here for, for Canadian youth. If I can ask you to both take out your maybe genomic crystal ball and look at uh, Canada 5, 10, maybe even 15 years down the road, how would you see the country and the economy being different because of all of this? 
Yeah, you know, I think the technologies that come out of genomics, they're going to transform our society, period. The question is whether we are going to be producers or consumers of, of that change. So what does it look like? I think it looks like a world where we are, um, our agricultural sector is, uh, is adapted to the changing climate, has adopted a variety of technologies and processes that are reducing its impact on, uh, on the environment, whether that's through livestock or crops. I think that we're looking at a resource sector that is uh, much more value added and all of this is being driven by these new changes this um, uh, in, in kind of the, our biological tools and technologies and, and understanding. So this is going to be transformational. I, the, there's no doubt in my mind it will be very much like the tech revolution. It's hard today to imagine all of the ways in which we, we will be transformed by these new technologies, but there's no doubt in my mind that it will be fundamental. Bettina, what do you see? So I imagine a, a world when another pandemic comes around and we have all the diagnostic uh, tests and tools that we need to control the panic from the get-go, where we can rapidly uh, produce the vaccines that we need. Uh, we can uh, rapidly uh, use uh, you know, small batch manufacturing to produce the food that is required and that we need. Um, and we have, you know, ability to use... Uh, biological processes to uh, to make our own uh, personal protective uh, equipment. So much more self-reliance through methods and, and the biomanufacturing that allows us to be um, sort of self-sufficient and manage uh, crises. This has been an extraordinary conversation. We've covered a lot. What's the one thing you would like our listeners to think about when they think about genomics, Rob? I want people to think about genomics not simply as um, a method of manipulating organisms, but as a philosophy of how we approach uh, living systems around us and uh, a way of thinking about those systems, uh, both in terms of how they can produce the things that we're going to need in the future and how they can actually help us to uh, mitigate some of the challenges that we're facing, whether that's on the pandemic side, whether that's with climate or other areas. And we in Canada, we're well positioned. Uh, to take advantage of this opportunity, but it, it requires us to take action and not to sit on the sidelines and wait for others to come up with some of these solutions. So mostly I want people to just to see the potential, the potential to do really, really amazing things. A, a philosophy, not a technology. I love that expression. Bettina, what, what should people think about? I'd say that, you know, Canada is a really, really great place to be in this game. We have uh, developed the capacity over the past 20 years. We're leading the world in many areas. Let's act on it. Let's act on it now. And let's use biology to be more green and to be more proactive uh, rather than uh, reactive. I would like to end this with a call to action. We all need to work together to accelerate uh, this area of genomics and biomanufacturing for Canada so that we can export our products and not buy them from the rest of the world. I've learned a ton in this conversation and still have a ton of questions I want to continue to explore. But I think if I ever do get on Jeopardy, I might now opt for genomics if it comes up. A few things stand out in my mind. Number one, we can't leave genomics to just the lab. This is so critical to the way we make things, to the so-called real economy. And that's going to require entrepreneurs and operators. It's going to require students, the next generation of innovators. And it's going to require consumers to be more engaged and more knowledgeable. Secondly, we need a new approach to both capital and business models. This is a new frontier. It's going to take a new mindset. And with that, different business models that we have to be more comfortable investing in and experimenting with 
and also regulating in ways that allow Canada to flourish. And that leads me to my third point about how fast the world is moving in this space. And as Canadians, we can be global leaders in this, or we can be followers, but we aren't going to see the advantages of this if we don't follow the call to action we heard from Bettina. My guests today have been Dr. Rob Annan, the president and CEO of Genome Canada, and Dr. Bettina Hamelin, the president and CEO of Ontario Genomics. I'm John Stackhouse, and this is RBC Disruptors. Join us next time when we'll take a look at digital storytelling in the age of COVID and how one of Canada's hottest tech companies, Wattpad, is navigating these uncharted waters. Talk to you then. RBC Disruptors is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by JAR Audio. For more RBC Disruptors content, like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit rbc.com disruptors.